The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Welcome to Raising Good Humans podcast. I'm Dr. Elisa Pressman, and today's episode really does not need an introduction because it is with the iconic Martha Stewart. We had a really cool conversation at the 92nd Street Y to celebrate my book launch. By the way, I have to say it. Please remember to get your copy of The Five Principles of Parenting, Your Essential Guide to Raising Good Humans. And if you feel like it, and this is true for the podcast and the book, it is so helpful if you find my work beneficial to write a review. If you write a review on Amazon, it helps the book. And if you write a review of the podcast on Apple Podcasts, it helps the podcast. So if you feel like this work speaks to you, that's what you can do to say thank you. That's all. And I'll be doing it no matter what. So if you don't have time, which I totally understand because who in the world does, I forgive you and I get it. Also, don't forget, I have a free newsletter, drlisa.substack.com. So there's all sorts of goodies for you, all free. I guess the book's not free. You you can get it for sale though on amazon.com. It's 34% off. Um, Or if you want to support local bookshops, you can always go to bookshop.org. So here's our conversation. I thought it was so interesting hearing from a grandmother because her perspective on her difficulty as a mom, particularly at a time where parenting was quite a bit different than what she experienced being parented. And then all the way to being a grandmother and trying to make repairs and do things differently. And we're also unpacking what's changed about the landscape of parenting. Some of it is fantastic and some of it is high pressured and totally unmanageable. So if you enjoy this episode, you know, don't hesitate to write a little review. It is always awesome to get a review of things that you want more of, what your favorite parts were, what you enjoyed, what you would like to hear about on Apple Podcasts. And if you are in the review writing mood, it's also awesome to write a review on Amazon about my book, The Five Principles of Parenting. Okay. I feel like I asked a lot of you. So I'm done with that. Now I hope you enjoy this episode. We're here because we're afraid that we have or will screw up our children. But Dr. Eliza Presman is here to help all of us. So Eliza, have we screwed up our kids or are we in the process of doing so? No, we are not in the process of doing so, but we do need to take a beat and realize that the science is not as hard and complicated and precious about raising our kids. But in the process of holding on so tight and trying to make everything so perfect, we might actually be doing our kids and ourselves a disservice. Hmm. Elaborate. Okay. So the science tells us there are five principles. Now, obviously, I've curated the science and it's very robust, decades long. This is not my science. This is the science of child development and human development. So there are five principles, relationship, reflection, regulation, rules, and repair. And when you can do sort of adhere to those more often than not, you really can do everything possible to not screw up your kids. And if we let ourselves have a little space to make mistakes in front of our kids, 
they realize that humans are making mistakes. We're fallible. We make repairs and we move on. So a lot of this is about letting go of clinging to the perfect parenting and recognizing that that's actually getting in our way. Well, from Dr. Spock, which I think I grew up on, <laughs> and my mom had six kids. I grew up on Dr. And, Spock. And mom mom was so great. She she just went for it. But she was a teacher, too. She, she sort of had the essentials to struggling with a only child. That's what I did, an only child. But now to mommy bloggers, and there's a plethora of parenting advice out there. What sets your book apart? I would say, at first, uh, there are incredible researchers. They're incredible psychologists, scientists. I have wonderful colleagues. I just wanted to put them all under one roof and kind of clear away the noise. So I would say this book clears away the noise, gets down to what really matters. And then there's a whole part of the book that's about coming to terms with what your values are and what you care about. So I'm not telling anybody what is important to them. That's that's on every individual and every family. And then ideally, the second half of the book just shows you how to put it into practice and the ways that we all kind of understand are happening from birth through adolescence. Well, you have quite a roster of famous young mothers. I went to a party the other night for the book and every young famous mother was there at the party, <laughs> all relying on Dr. Eliza. And I, I think it's really fabulous, though, because people really do appreciate the advice you give. It's not so complicated but it is very sensible. And how does your book really help parents rely less on parenting advice and more on common sense? I think by distilling the science and saying, here's what really matters, it's five principles. And that's what's in our control as parents. Like we can't control our kids. We can't control other people as hard as that is to realize, but we can control ourselves. So making sure that you control yourself in these ways, you pay attention to the relationships that you have. You reflect on your experience being parented and how that informed maybe how you interact in the world. And then you regulate so that you can kind of have control over your emotions in a way, not to remove them, but just say, I'm intentional about my emotions. I'm, I'm going to be able to make choices about my parenting that are intentional and that you have rules because rules matter. We need boundaries. We, meet, we need to set limits in the context of having a close relationship. And then when we screw up, did you say screwing up kids? So when we screw <laughs> up, we make repairs. Yeah. And it's not that, it's like that for everything, even though, of course, in the book, I go through all the different challenges that are pretty typical because I know that it's hard to say like, well, how does that translate in everyday moments? But I think over time, ideally you're getting fluent in this and it's quite easy. What's not easy is the, the emotional stuff that happens and the, the feelings that we have because we're human. So in this world of such frequent divorce, separation, all kinds of stuff, I mean, you've gone through that. Yeah. You have two lovely daughters. How do you explain all of that to the kids? So there are two things that I like to say that just remind us that the feelings themselves of hard events are not the problem. So I like to say all feelings are welcome. All behaviors are not. So you're allowed to have feelings, including being really upset that your parents are getting divorced. The key is that you are safe to share those feelings with your parents and that you have somebody who will just be there with you through the feelings, not fix the feelings, not try to change the world around them so that they don't have to go through the hard times, but kind of give them the tools 
dress them for the weather that they're experiencing. So in the context of divorce, the the kinds of stressors that come at us, like divorce, like death, like war, like pandemics, they can be toxic. Everything, everything that everything we've experienced experience. right, right this minute. Absolutely. Those can be when piled on or individually just highly stressful to the point of toxic stress. And that can, over decades, create health outcomes we don't want. Mental illness and physical illness that we don't want. But when you have one loving and supportive caregiver, and it only takes one, then you, you can move those stressors from being categorized from toxic to tolerable. And that builds resilience. So we want that. And that is the thing that when everybody's worried they're screwing up, whether it's because of divorce or because of the pandemic or because of some other issue, the question is, can I be there in a close relationship through all the things that are messy? If you can, you're not screwing up your kids. I mean, they might end up in therapy, but that's not a bad thing. (laughs) (laughs) Well, your background is in developmental psychology. What does that mean exactly? It means that I look at change over time and how we come to be who we are, which is different than, for example, clinical psychology, where you're looking at psychopathology, kind of what's going wrong. I'm not looking at what's going wrong. I mean, I might, but mostly yeah. I'm looking at how did we get here and what it, what in the environment can we shift to support thriving? So the, the two kids in your family, but you're also a, a, a daughter of a divorced couple. Sure am. Yeah. And was that difficult for you? I mean, I will say this in my field, there is a saying, research is me search. (laughs) So I think there is, it's not a coincidence that I went into this field. I think having a colorful, wacky, I'm I'm trying to think of the right words, but having kind of- You can say anything. I know your father very well. (laughs) (laughs) It's not you I'm worried about, but I think having those early experiences- probably made me quite curious, like, how do we get to be who we are and how how do we bounce back? So my parents got divorced when I was 18 months old. I don't oh. remember. A th- I don't remember parents together. Oh, so that's... I'm sure my nervous system remembers right. that experience of that separation, but I certainly don't have conscious memory of it. But was this, was this your goal to study this all along through college and beyond? No, I failed psych one in college (laughs) because I didn't understand freshman fall. This is not flattering, but I didn't understand freshman fall that you, to drop a course, you have to go to registration and tell them that you dropped the course. So that did not get received well by my parents. And so I never looked at psychology again until after I finished college and I kind of took a range of psych courses. And when I took developmental psychology, I just fell in love with this idea that we can understand who we are today by looking at our early experiences. What does that mean? Um, It's the worst name. It's a training program that they have at the Yale Child Study Center that is very much behavior oriented. So you give positive feedback for behavior you want to see and you give either no feedback or occasionally obviously have to to intervene for behaviors you don't want to see. It's not something that I pull out of my hat very often, but if somebody's really struggling and their goal is compliance, like caring what that your child is behaving versus maybe trying to understand the root of the behavior. If somebody says, look, I don't care why it's happening. I just want it to stop. Then I would pull that out of the hat and say, okay, there is an option. 
This podcast is sponsored in part by Caden Lane. Caden Lane was started in 2005 by a single mom who wanted to create better and cuter clothes, accessories, and keepsakes for her own children and for those special moments you remember forever. So I like Caden Lane because it's adorable and has the cutest pajamas and they're really, really soft and they're long lasting and they're really good presents for little ones. And you can actually match your wardrobe with your child. I mean, my kids are a little old for this, but I would have loved that because it's just so darn cute. And for the really little ones, they have extra snaps and zippers to make sure that the outfits and diaper changes are quick and easy. And yet the little ones cannot figure out how to take them all off and get naked in the crib. <laughs> so Caden Lane is your one-stop shop for all your newborn, infant, and toddler apparel. Head to cadenlane.com slash humans and use the code humans for 20% off your order. Once again, that's C-A-D-E-N-L-A-N-E.com backslash humans for 20% off. And make sure to use my promo code humans so they know that I sent you C-A-D-E-N-L-A-N-E.com backslash humans for 20% off your order. Do you know how much cash back you're leaving on the table when you use the wrong credit card? Well, I didn't. But now I know that you can earn up to 5% cash back on your groceries for the next 30 years. That's a lot of cash back. So Nerd Wallet is helping everyone make smarter financial choices today so that you can thank yourself in the future. With Nerd Wallet, you don't regret missing out on rewards because Nerd Wallet lets you compare smart cashback credit cards side by side to make the most of your everyday spending. So what would future you do with more cash back? Would it be a getaway, a spa day? Whatever it is, make it happen with a smarter cashback credit card. Do not wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit card savings accounts and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. And as with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms do apply. Well, you're so lucky because you you started your practice in a time when universal kind of correspondence was so was so good. I mean, we have Instagram, yeah. we have TikTok, we have just texting and emails. It makes it so much easier to communicate. So how have you found that? There was something that happened, something combining social media, the pandemic, and just probably the past blogging, like all the things that have happened in the past that made communicating so easy. I think a great thing is that when it's working, it brings parents together that need support. And unfortunately, the the bad part of it is there's this inundation of content and it's not really vetted and you don't really know who to trust or what to trust. And it's not dissimilar to what's going on in the news or anything else. Let's back to parenting itself. Why is perfect parenting the enemy of good parenting. Now, when you say that, which I do say that in the book. I thought I was such a good parent, but I was, I was such a bad parent in retrospect. And I, I'm, here, I'm here for some therapy here, too. This is, this is important for me. Well, well, let me ask you a question. Not with the grandchildren. Grandchildren are great. <laughs> I think that's another, first of all, nobody cares about the kids once they have grandkids anyway. Right. <laughs> so you work on that relationship. And I think 
reflecting on what you feel like didn't go well in your experience being parented and then what happened in your experience as a mother will change your relationship with your grandchildren. Your book is so helpful, actually. And I I do wish it had been there instead of Dr. Spock 56 years ago. It would have been a, a helpful book. The whole first half of the book is really just curating the science for parents so that they don't have to find the different places to get it. How do the new households affect parenting? I mean, there are two male households or two female households. There's divorced and undivorced. And I mean, there's so many different kinds of households. Does it make it more difficult? Does it make it less difficult? At this party, I mean, there was every kind of household, right? At the party that you had last week? Yeah. Every kind of household. I couldn't believe it. And all the guys were were all gathered together. They all have lots of little kids running around and, and there's not a woman in sight, but they have all the, but how does that really affect parenting? So we have looked at this and the the key is you really only need one caregiver. Okay. doesn't matter what their gender is. One caregiver where you feel really loved and safe and seen and connected. Great if you have two. Great if you have more people in your life, but you, you need one. And when you're missing that one, you, you can even seek that out, you know, as you get older in a coach or a teacher or an aunt, but, or aunt, depending. So it really, the thing that we worry about is I'm divorced. I'm a single parent. I'm a single sex household. I'm, you know, all the different things that don't feel traditional, but that's not actually impacting kids. What impacts kids is the relationship. And that's the thing that we have to focus on. And we try to focus on the things. And I remember, like, I didn't want to get divorced, even though it was the right thing for our family, because I thought that's not good for kids. But when you really peel back the research, the problem is the, it's not the actual divorce. It's issues with finance. It's issues with the co-parents not getting along and having tension, putting the kids in between. Like, the issue isn't the actual single parent household. What are the most common dilemmas that you hear from parents? I think the biggest pain point for parents right now is balancing how to have a close relationship with also having boundaries and rules that are helping them be members of society. And so the discomfort in that, like seeing your your child uncomfortable is really hard for people, which makes sense. It's It's hard. But when we fix everything and make it easy, we don't give them the opportunity to know that the challenges are survivable. And what kind of lessons can grandparents learn from your book? Well, the same lessons is that your relationship is what's important, that when you pause and don't just react and you really listen to what this human needs. I actually think one cool thing for grandparents is to really take the opportunity because you're not in the same the tension is not the same as when you're a parent and you're like, it's all on me. And so you can enjoy these children in a different kind of way. And you can also say like, let me get to know you. I'm not going to turn you into the person that I want you to be. I'm going to get to know who you are so you can be the person you are. And because I know you obviously are garden, I mean, who's better at gardening? It's not dissimilar in the sense that there are different kinds of plants. There are different kinds of flowers. They need different care. And it's the same thing with children and their temperament. Some children need a different kind of care than others. So even just paying attention to your two different grandchildren, are they, you know, did they come into this world just sort of with a different 
way of being and responding? Is one more sensitive than the other one? Does one get more upset easily? Pay attention, right? Yeah. So the first half of your book lays out your five principles, the five R's of parenting. It sounds like the five G's of going public, you know, death, dementia, you know. <laughs> I don't those, know oh, those. Oh, oh, they're terrible. They're terrible, the five D's. I had to write that. You have to write them in your prospectus when you're going public. Oh, my gosh. Yes, it's horrible. Let's, let's, <laughs> talk, through, let's talk through the five R's okay. carefully. Relationships. Okay. Figuring out how you connect is really key. So do you ever think about, like, how do you best connect with the kids? The grandkids. Let's oh, let's do the grandchildren. Yeah, let's do the grandchildren. Yeah, the child. The child is way gone. Okay, I'm just joking. She she is a fantastic mother, and I think she follows a lot of your tenets actually. And she wouldn't have such amazing children if she weren't a great mother and paid attention to these things, and uh, reminded me that I hadn't paid attention to those things. <laughs> but yes, relationships. So uh, yeah, you have to really just distinguish what they're what they're and pay attention to what they are. I think, do you notice when you feel... We're going to turn this into a therapy session. I know. <laughs> Tell me a little bit about the experience being connected. <laughs> no, you don't need to do that. But I am curious. I think it's just something to think about. What helps you connect? What makes you feel like, oh, I like being here. I feel connected. Well, give me there's something that they wouldn't get otherwise. Like, like floor seats at the Knicks game with the Celtics. <laughs> you know, if I can do that, if I can deliver that to the kid. Been there. In. Then, and with his friends, he can invite his friends to come along. Then all is well. <laughs> for a moment. For a moment. Remember that, grandparents. And parents, too. I mean, it really does help, actually. But that's, it's not about the gift so much. No. It's about the experience of the gift. Yeah, that's so, so that's some that's that's one way that you find that you can kind of draw them in and laugh together and right, enjoy each other. Right. And that really does help. And not forcing them to do things because they don't want to be forced. Children do not want to be forced to do things. I mean, it depends because if it's something they should be doing, like a service to others, going to school, taking the dishes to the sink and putting them in the dishwasher, being kind to someone, you can still make, you know, that's a moment where they might not want to, but it's not a choice. That's one of your rules. Whereas there are a lot of things where dragging them unnecessarily doesn't build the connection. Right. And I think being comfortable that sometimes it's a have to and sometimes it's not and deciding that's your values. Like I wouldn't be able to decide what is a have to for you. I don't like to do that. I don't like to be, uh, as, a, as a grandparent, I don't like to be pushed. I have to. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to be a have to. That's, a, that's actually good advice for grandparents. Yeah. Maybe for grandparents, the have to is not right. super helpful. Reflection. So reflection, I think, is a very unsung hero of these principles because it really just requires taking a breath and thinking about what you want, what your goals are, what your intentions are, and what your past experiences were. So if there's something in your childhood that you didn't really make sense of, it's going to come out in your relationships. So reflection is hard. A lot of people just want to skip it. Do you ever, do you know what I mean? No. What? No. Would you like just what? like really thinking about how, you know, what was your life like when you were a kid? It was how, great. <laughs> and so what, if it was great, were you trying to replicate that experience? Were you wondering why that wasn't happening? It's very different being what, having six kids running around the house. Yeah. 
than and, one. And not very much money. And, and one child running around a house with more money yeah. and, and more opportunities, more travel, more excitement, you know. But my life was so exciting. It was so nice with, with six kids running it was around. Fun. Yeah. It was more fun, more, more inclusive, I think, instead of exclusive. That's, that's not before rules. rules. You have oh, to regulate. A lot of people say, how do I get my child to have self-regulation? If you're not just using your primitive brain and being reactive all the time. You're not flying off the handle at the barista for messing up because you can take a moment and say, is that going to serve me or anybody else around me? Probably not. And so if you struggle with that, it's something to work on so that your kids can learn from borrowing your nervous system. That's called co-regulation. But if you haven't figured out how to regulate yourself, it's hard for the kids to learn. Oh. It's also highly associated with the positive outcomes that we, we think about. So it's actually more predictive than IQ of academic success. Oh. Okay, a quick break so I can tell you about Magic Spoon. So Magic Spoon, I tried actually during the pandemic when it first came out, not as an advertiser, but just because the idea of having old school, delicious reminders of the sugared cereals from back in the day, but having a healthy version for myself and my kids to start my day was pretty awesome. So then cut to now and Magic Spoon sent me a variety pack to try because they're an advertiser. And I'm like, oh, I already have this. So now you can have these delicious flavors. It's tasty and quick and easy, but it has zero sugar. So you don't have to worry about a sugar crash or a sugar high or any of that nonsense. And it's got a lot of protein. It's gluten-free, it's grain-free and it's soy-free. So go to magicspoon.com humans to grab a variety pack and try it today. And be sure to use the promo code HUMANS at checkout so you can save $5 off your order. And Magic Spoon is very confident in their product. So there's a 100% happiness guarantee. If you don't like it for any reason, they refund your money, no questions asked. So you can try a delicious bowl of Magic Spoon cereal today at magicspoon.com humans and use the code HUMANS to save $5. Thank you, Magic Spoon for sponsoring this episode. This is probably my longest sponsor, KiwiCo. And you know what? It's a good thing because it's a fabulous product. So if you listen to me, you know, I'm a big fan of open-ended play, child-directed play, and the joy of just getting off those screens. But I also understand reality And the reality is that when you feel like your kids are bored and you are exhausted, that you might resort to screens. And that's why I think KiwiCo rocks. Because right when you're just like, I've had enough, KiwiCo delivers fun learning for ages zero to 99 with hands-on projects. And the projects can center around anything from engineering robots to the last one I did, which was the science of ice cream. Because I don't care how old you are, it's fun to make your own ice cream. It can be really hard to find creative ways to keep kids engaged, challenged, and off their screens. So KiwiCo does the job for you so you can spend quality time either tackling projects together or zoning out and reading the paper and having a cup of coffee. Redefine learning with play, explore projects that build confidence and problem-solving skills with KiwiCo. Get 50% off your first month on any crate line at kiwico.com with the promo code RGH. 
That's 50% off your first month at kiwico.com, promo code RGH. Rules. Okay, rules are just an R word for boundaries and setting limits. So the boundaries are what's interpersonal between us and limits. And should that be done by the parents? Yeah. It, yeah. If it's not done, if you're just in a close relationship, but you have no rules, it doesn't feel safe. And repair. When other things go wrong, is that what happens? Yeah. When there's a disconnection, it's a bringing you back to being connected. And that's going to happen all the time. We never always connected. So just believing and showing your kids that we come back and we're steady. And sometimes we're having a moment where we're disconnected, but then we come back together. And I think that's one that helps us not feel like things are perfect, which there is something to that because so many things that you do have to be perfect or they would not, they just wouldn't work as well. Well, But the relationships can't be. And so they have to be able to come back to connection. I don't know that that would be true in a garden or in, you know, I'm not sure because I have never... Kept plants alive or gardened <laughs> or grown flowers or trees or orchard, orchards or anything. Is resilience important? I mean, I, I think the, the key is that these, I chose five principles that are very highly linked with resilience. And resilience is like you can bounce back in the face of setbacks and adversity and, you know, deep stress and trauma. So resilience is super important. It's not something that you just have as a quality. It's something you need to to have support for. And there's also life circumstances that that make it harder. But well, say we someone, can help. When a parent gets sick. Yeah. And so, and you have to you have to have resilience. You have to put on a good face or whatever you have to do to make, make your children not feel uncomfortable, right? Or let them know that that feeling of discomfort is okay. And it makes sense. And you'll be there to talk to them about it and hold them through it, but that you're not trying to pretend it doesn't exist. So the hallmarks of a resilient child? So there are qualities that we have. These principles are totally in our control. There are skills we can build in our kids that are very much resilience building. Gratitude, autonomy, motivation, empathy, and self-regulation. Those are skills that are very much linked with resilience bouncing back. So that's a skill, not a quality of mm-hmm. Oh. So some people, sure, there are dandelions that just like came out of the womb and they just are like, I don't need anything but a tiny bit of sunlight, water, and soil and I'm growing anywhere. But for the most part, if you're not a dandelion, your resilience comes from building these skills and you have to exercise the muscles to get those skills. Well, some some kids are just so nice. I mean, as a grandma, I I entertain the friends of my grandchildren. I I try to do that on a regular basis, and so I I find some kids are just so great. And some are not so great, <laughs> but they're so pleasant and so caring and so nice to their friends. And but is that just inborn or is that developed? Or a lot of things are developed because you're you can have a temperament like. I, you know, you might bend a little bit more thoughtful, but usually you also have someone modeling that for you and having that expectation. And over time, you get a feedback loop that that feels good because it does feel good. Mm-hmm. And and so there's there's better connection. But there are some kids, of course, I mean, sometimes you just come out and you're just a certain way. But for the most part, we can help watch Fargo. <laughs> 
<laughs> I've never seen such rotten children as, as in Fargo. Typically, if a, if a child is developing, they go through phases. So sometimes you go through a rotten phase, but with loving support and with your parents believing like, look, your behavior is rotten, but you are not rotten. That's important because you don't want to name, you don't want to call out and shame who a person is. You might say their behavior is unacceptable, but their core is acceptable. And I think that's the difference between kids who can realize they can do better and kids who are like, I guess I'm a, you know, I guess I'm terrible. So what I get from the book when I, having read it, is that the overreaching goal is to really build resiliency in, yeah. a, in, a, in a human being. And so those hallmarks, what are they? Of, of a resilient child. For a resi- well, I mean, it's a bounce back ability. Okay. You know, when, when you have a setback, can you come back from it? Now, that doesn't mean you're not going to have trouble, that it's not going to hurt, that you're not going to feel hard feelings. It just means like you can weather the storms. The second half of your book gives examples of how to apply the five principles to any common parenting situation. So you, you talk about tempest versus crisis. So I think that I'm just thinking we can translate any of these into, we can use those questions, we can use any scenario, but really what I try to do is think, okay, from every parent that I've talked to and being a parent from birth through adolescence, what are each of the points where somebody comes to me and says like, this is really hard and it's so often the same thing. And it's just finding out we're not alone. This is happening for a lot of us and there are ways to respond, it doesn't mean you're going to get the outcome that you're looking for in that moment. It really is a long game. I would think of this as a marathon. Okay. We have questions from the audience. Okay. You want to ask, answer some of these? Dr. Elisa, <laughs> when my kids test me by not putting coat on, I ignore it. But if we've got to go, I end up losing my temper. Any tips? Royce in Brooklyn. <laughs> How old are the kids? Six years old and four years old. That's pretty young. That's pretty young. So I think one one of the things is you can just decide this is what my expectation is that you're putting a coat on. If you're not putting your coat on and I don't have time to argue, you can hold your coat. We'll go outside. When you get cold, you'll put your coat on. And then that is all about our own regulation. Like, why is it worth getting angry about? Why are you about that, right? Like the the person who's, yeah, it's, it's almost like, Decide what really matters and don't waste your time arguing about the stuff that's just annoying. Catching the bus is more important than putting your coat on. Yes. Unless okay. it's, you know, Unless going what? somewhere terrible. Oh. <laughs> How do you manage anger outbursts? From yourself or from the child? I don't know. It doesn't say. Hmm. Okay. Interestingly, both. it's the same both thing. Like okay, thank you. It's the same. You would do the same thing. So when there's an anger outburst, You want to regulate yourself and recognize this alarm system that we have. So if you think about how we tell ourselves if there's an emergency and we need to be angry, we need to fight what's fight, flight, or freeze. That's what a stress response is. So if a child is having an angry outburst, most likely it's because they're having a stress response. Something is making them feel like they are threatened they don't like something, something doesn't feel good, something makes them angry. So they go into that outburst because they don't have self-regulation yet. They don't have that skill. And so if we as the parent 
can regulate ourselves, even if our child is having the outburst, then we can come toward them with what they need and they borrow our nervous system. We don't need to meet them like a tornado and get everybody in a bigger outburst. And over time, they catch that. They catch that we don't think it's an emergency when they're upset and angry and screaming. We might say if they're older, like this is untenable for me because I can't, I I don't want to be treated like this. So I'm get your feelings out, just do them elsewhere. And then we'll talk when you're calmer because I can't be yelled at like this. But for younger kids, they really just need help regulating. And it might be as simple as putting your hand on your heart or running your hand under cold water or something that engages your parasympathetic nervous system because that tells your body there's no threat. You could take a nap. And that's what you need. When I was growing up, the most popular book was Cheaper by the Dozen. I don't know. Do you know what that is? Yeah. Okay. So would you, that's about a family that in Montclair, New Jersey, I grew up in Nutley, New Jersey with six kids in my family, but Cheaper by the Dozen, they had 12 kids in the family. So is it better to have more kids, less kids, one kid? What do you, what do you think as a, okay. as a doctor? What do you think? It depends on your goals. But if you think about like, if you have the resources, so one thing is just simply, do you have the resources? And another thing is, what can you, what do you feel like you can manage? There is no, we don't see differences in, for example, singleton children and multi-children when it comes to their social skills in the long run. You don't. No, but in the short run, you need a little help and you need to bring kids around and help for socialization purposes, but it doesn't long-term have an impact. You can have as many or as few kids as you want if you have the capacity. It's much more, again, about the relationship. The question here is, what do you do after you've had a fight with your kid? How do you separate the values uh, that you want to raise your kids with from the ones that raised you? So that's reflection. And that's really just making a decision about I like to call on a very old trick in this field, which is a family mission statement or a family value statement and sit down and just first write, like set a five minutes, write write down all of the words you can think of that matter to you about what, you know, what kind of values you have. And then when you see repeated things, circle them and come up with three or four that really, really matter. And just say in this household, we value, and it doesn't matter. There's no right or wrong. But I mean, there are some wrong, but you just want to know so that you can focus your rules, your boundaries, your limits, and how you make decisions around that mission statement. And then you can only do that if you have the reflection of like, well, what did my family value? Like in my household, maybe it was education, grades, and kindness. And now I'm raising my kids and I want it to be three other ones that aren't aligned then you need to figure out, okay, I know what my values are. These are going to be the rules and boundaries in my house. How do you prepare a toddler for a second child? Well, okay. You wait until you're showing or talking about a baby, or if you're adopting a baby, you wait till you're telling everybody and talking about it. And then you can say very straightforward that, that, first relationship. So you connect with your child. Like, I love you. We're very excited. Here's some news. This is what's happening. And lay out the plan. They don't really understand time. So you might say something like it's winter now. And when it becomes springtime and the weather gets warmer, we're going to have a baby. And then 
don't spend the rest of the time just fixated on forcing that connection. Like you're, this is going to be your best friend. This is going to be amazing. You sort of don't make it the center of everything and slowly build. I was introduced to Primally Pure and I'm so into it. Even the packaging alone lights you up. It's so beautiful and chic. And actually it's skincare for little ones, which we know is really important because young baby skin really soaks up ingredients and their delicate skin is very absorbent. And so I love Primally Pure baby products because you can pamper your baby with organic, beautiful, pure, cold-pressed oils. And the multi-purpose products work for big skin too. And the multi-purpose products aren't just for babies or for growing bellies, but they're actually for anybody. Primally Pure's Baby Balm is my favorite product. And incidentally, it is there are no babies in my house and we're so into it because my heels need it. <laughs> I'll just say that. It is magic. So to read real-life stories from parents who've experienced life-changing relief from Primally Pure's baby products, visit primallypure.com slash humans and use the code humans for 15% off your Primally Pure purchase. That's www.primallypure.com slash humans and use the code humans at checkout for 15% off your order. Visit www.primallypure.com slash humans for 15% off your order. Keepsake is the easiest way for parents to capture and preserve memories about little ones and growing kids. I was so excited when I tried Keepsake. Kind of wish I had had it when I had little ones. Keepsake sends daily text prompts and thoughtful questions so you never miss a memory in the making. Your text responses and photo are stored in the app with easy access as a digital journal. And then of course, it's so gorgeous. They can send you a book of your digital journal and voila, memories made and such a good present too. And it's never too late to start documenting. It works great for new moms, toddlers, early school age, and as kids continue to grow and start new activities, sports, vacations, birthdays, the big stuff, but also the little stuff. There's always going to be amazing moments that you can look back on and think, how can I keep a great record? Okay. So Keepsake is so super cool. You get your first week completely free when you sign up and it's just so darn cute. I like put a whole thing about my book launch just to have that whole memory because I was also thinking about other ways that I want to have Keepsake as part of my life. Keepsake is spelled with a Q because of the questions it asks you to build out your journal. Go to keepsake.com and redeem 20% off your annual subscription with the code humans. Remember that's keepsake with a Q. Q-E-E-P-S-A-K-E. Can you talk more about the social media pressure to be a perfect parent in these times? Yeah, I feel so much for parents and I'm a parent too, but I do not pressure myself to be perfect because I'm so, this is like the one thing that I would say I've really, I've been clinging to, which is we do our kids a disservice when we are perfect because then they don't know that they're allowed to not be perfect. So I think when you see this stuff on social media, you have to remind yourself that we make a choice about the same thing we'll teach our kids. We make a choice about what we show in social media. We're not mm -hmm. just showing everything. And, you know, unless your whole 
thing is to show how imperfect you are, then you're going to put whatever best face forward seem perfect. Or maybe it's even a parenting account that makes it feel like every moment has to be perfect. And I think we all need to just embrace the fact that perfect is harmful and the imperfect is actually better. And so if you are a perfectionist and you're like, well, I want to get this perfect, then you best make mistakes in front of your kids. How do you emotionally respond to a toddler throwing a temper tantrum? You can see how you really only need five principles because I'm going to say the same thing again, (laughs) which is, okay, I have to regulate myself and remind myself this toddler is not being chased by a saber-toothed tiger. Everybody is safe. This is a feeling. I'm going to do what I need to remind myself of that. Like I'm a big hand on heart person because that makes me feel a little bit like a little oxytocin hit. That's a that's a little thing that some people do. Some people get annoyed by it. You have to know yourself. Whatever you can do to take a breath and tell yourself there is not an emergency. I don't need to chase this toddler around to make this toddler feel better. I can just be available and let them know that I'm here through my, you know, my nervous system saying it, even if they're screaming. And when they're ready, they come to you and they might need a hug, but you don't need to chase the feeling and fix it with like giving them the blue cup when they wanted it or changing everything around or moving your seat because they're so upset. You can just understand that sometimes it's very hard to be a toddler. Here's a good one. My kids are 13 and 16. Is it too late? (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. No. I mean, we're talking no, about grandparenting. No, it's not too late, right? Yeah, no. it's never too late. That's the cool thing about being humans. We are constantly growing and changing, and it's never too late. When it comes to punishment or consequences in negotiating the type of punishment, is it is it more damaging? As the teenage, this is a teenager problem. They they write <laughs> example: okay, no cell phone as a punishment. Cetera. Then your child says, how long? One week or two weeks? You know, negotiating one week or no week or two weeks with it. I mean, mean, it doesn't work, does it? Typically, punishment for the sake of punishment is not effective. You want consequences to be logical or natural. So if it's natural because you're taking the phone away because they were sending, you know, selfies that were inappropriate or they were bullying somebody, it's appropriate to say, you're not ready for this phone right now. So I need to take it because I need to protect you developmentally. And we'll take a break. You were misusing it. We'll get back to it. And that's it. And that's where rules are really important. And if you want to talk to them about how long feels reasonable, that's okay. But don't keep changing it. Just make a decision, empathize with them because it stinks to have your phone taken away. And then you know, accept that they're going to be really mad at you and you're going to love them anyway and you'll get past it and repair. Any rules about when they should get a phone, when they should get an iPad? I mean, schools are giving out iPads when you're in kindergarten now. Of course, they're regulated content, but what do you do about a cell phone? I mean, I would push a cell phone off as long as possible, like until it's just socially, like really problematic. But we're learning every year. We don't actually have great data yet, but we're every time anything comes out, it's typically like letting us know to take a little bit longer. And just because you have a phone doesn't mean you can have social media. And just because you have a phone doesn't mean that you have access to it all the time. So 
parents have to also be ready to monitor the phones. Like I feel like maybe my child had the developmental skills, but I did not have the time as a mother to focus on helping them learn to use the phone properly. So I punted. What do you do when your children will not listen? (laughs) Okay. So first decide what really matters to you. And then when they're not listening, first of all, there's a whole lot. This is all in the book, so we won't go too deep into it. But let's just say if you're if your goal is compliance, like I just want this kid to listen, then make sure that you're very clear about the rules, that you're not throwing a thousand things at them. And that when you ask them and or tell them what to do versus what not to do, you're helping them understand how to behave in the world, not just telling them no, 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 no all the time. And then when they do listen, let them know you notice. But the other thing is, is that they're not listening all the time. And there's absolutely no consequence, like no natural consequence to not listening. They don't really have a reason to listen. Like if you're like clean the dishes or you can't fill in the blank and they're like, no, and then they go get to do whatever they want, why would they listen? I think they're very smart not to listen. So I think we have to say that we can decide what's important to us and just say, okay, until you do the dishes, the things that you want to be doing are just not available. My parents, and I wouldn't drink my milk, we had to sit at the table until we drank our glass of milk. It was horrible. I sat there one night for six hours. (laughs) (laughs) And then I drank the milk because I wanted to go to bed. Because you wanted to go to bed. So what did you do for six hours? I listened to the radio. The radio was on. You know, we listened to radio, I guess. I have no idea what I did. But by then, the milk was so horrible. It was warm, Warm. you know, almost sour. But my, I think my parents were good parents (laughs) because they didn't, they didn't give up on something so stupid as having to drink milk. I mean, there's another way to look at it which is they maybe for them that was super important, but maybe to another parent, they're like, I don't really care about the milk. I'm not going to make it a rule. So then we're not going to negotiate. Because I think a lot of times we make rules and we can't stick to it. It's just, I mean, when you have six kids not drinking drinking their milk, then that's pretty bad. You weigh six glasses of milk. Yeah. So I I don't know. I thought thought it was smart. After I thought about it, I I thought it was smart. Did it work? Yeah. We always drank our milk. Yeah. There you go. I always drank her milk. Oh. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I do not drink Now you milk. never no, will. No. <laughs> I feel like that's very telling. <laughs> what should parents keep in mind when trying to communicate with a teenager? That we are brilliant and wise and know exactly what they're going through, but we need to just zip it. Zip it. Yeah. Being curious and listening is much more effective. For parents trying to break generational cycles, where do you start? Reflection. Okay. So sometimes you see a family where one child seems to have some strong, confident adult, have become a strong, confident adult, whereas a sibling has really struggled. Mm-hmm. What does that indicate? Is it is it temperament? Uh, I think it's temperament. Yeah, not genetics, not environment. Well, that temperament is is in a sense like it's your DNA. But if you think about it, If I have a temperament, there's something in the research called goodness of fit. If a parent is a really good fit for one kid who just kind of came out, responds to the world in one way, and it just makes more sense for that parent, 
then that child might get a little bit more of what they need than the child who the parent is not interested in or just doesn't understand. How is parenting different now than it was 10 years ago? I, I see a lot of difference. You do? Oh, yeah. Tell me what you see. Well, I just see laxity. Mm-hmm. I see parents now, two parents working instead of one parent working. So in general, the research is not for or against um, working families. In fact, no, it shouldn't be. No, it, if you if you have the resources, and it it can often be beneficial when both parents work. But I do think that in the last ten years, some combination of like the influx of information and the almost commodification of this relationship and the optimization culture of parenting has kind of exploded, which is why I was very hesitant to write a a book because it's hard. I want to provide information and support, but not so much that we become rigid and feel like this all has to be micromanaged, but not so little that you're just left to. But obviously from the questions we got and from, you know, just we need it. We need help. We shouldn't be left alone for this. this. We used to Long ago, we used to have a whole community that was not well, online. It was oh, just no, we had our, our grandparents. Yeah. We had our great-grandparents. We had all kinds of people around us. Yeah, and we really need that. It's not fair to do this alone. Yeah, it's very difficult. Why should parents not be friends with their children? Unless well, it- you can, they can be friends with you, but they cannot, it can't be reciprocal. Like, you never want your child to take care of your emotions. You're there to take care of their emotions. They can share their secrets with you. But it, it becomes a boundary issue when they're like, I need to take care of the grown-up in my life or they won't be okay. That doesn't feel safe. Mm-hmm. Remember that. I think that's very important advice. Yeah, it's hard because it's fun, especially as they get older and, you know. Don't live their lives. Yeah. Right? Live your own life. Absolutely. That's very important to say. If you could only give one piece of advice what would it be? I think it would be, I give two choices. Yeah, you can give two. (laughs) Okay. I think it would be to remind ourselves that more often than not, we are the parents we want to be, and that is good enough, or all feelings are welcome, all behaviors are not. The end, I think. Hmm. Or you get the whole book, which would be better. (laughs) (laughs) I put regulation exercises at the end of each chapter because that seems to be the thing. It's like all of this sounds great until you're like, so it's also practicing every day when you're not dysregulated, like taking time every day to do something that exercises the muscle, which is why meditation is awesome, but not most parents don't have time or don't feel like they have time. So I tried to find like micro moments, but anything that makes your that makes you have a practice of just reminding yourself that you can breathe is incredibly effective, but you have to do it every day and it's annoying. I mean, I like it, but I, and, and it doesn't always work because then something gets thrown at you and you lose it. But when you practice every day, it just reminds your whole body that you're able to turn off the alarm system. I talk about the passcode to your internal alarm system. And that space when you're walking into a house with an alarm, that beeping sound that happens before you punch in the passcode, that's your cue, cue, clue, and cue to know that you're about to lose it and you need to do a couple of things that will stop you from losing it so there won't be a false alarm. And that's why if you've practiced every day, you get really good at it. 
or like decent at it. Humor, by the way, is on the list of things that regulate your nervous system. Laughing is really important. We can all feel you, you couldn't laugh and be under threat. Your body would go into fight, flight, or freeze. It wouldn't just sit and giggle. Right. <laughs> so that's a cue. And, you know, it lets you know, like, I'm safe. I can laugh. And so I think that's a great mechanism. Well, and you provide it. <laughs> well, this has been so informative. And I know it will help many, many people. Our podcast listeners can find the five principles of parenting wherever you buy books. And for those of us at the 92nd Street Y, New York, you can purchase signed copies here tonight. Thank you so much, Dr. Pressman, Dr. Aliza. Good luck with the book and good luck with your practice. Please note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.